This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. Welcome to The Tonic, your prescription for a healthier and happier life. Here's your host and publisher of Tonic Magazine, Jamie Busson. Hi, I'm Jamie Buston. I'm a former commercial litigator who used to weigh 242 pounds. When I was 38 years old, I lost over 50 pounds through a regimen of exercise and better nutrition. It took me a year to reach my goal, but I thought if a type A personality like me could do it, really anybody can. I'm still asking questions and learning about what it means to live a healthy lifestyle. Please join me on this continuing journey. Today, we'll discuss steroids with pharmacist Andy Donald. We'll talk about men's health and fitness with Canadian icon Trevor Linden. We'll find out about the aging doctor crisis with health CEO Malad Norvand. And lastly, we'll learn about new age conspiracy theories that are health threats with author Matthew Remsky. Before we get to that, here's your tonic quick shot. For over a century, researchers have thought that the patterns of brain activity that define our experiences, hopes, and dreams are determined by how different brain regions communicate with each other through a complex web of trillions of cellular connections. Now, a study out of Monash University has examined more than 10,000 different maps of human brain activity and found that the overall shape of a person's brain exerts a far greater influence on how we think, feel, and behave than its intricate neuronal connectivity. Philosophers and legal scholars have explored significant aspects of the moral and legal status of robots, with some advocating for giving robots rights. As robots assume more roles in the world, a new analysis reviewed research on robot rights, concluding that granting rights to robots is a bad idea. Instead, researcher Taiwan Kim, out of the Tepper School of Business at Carnegie Mellon University, argues for a different approach. Confucianism, an ancient Chinese belief system, focuses on the social value of achieving harmony. Individuals are made distinctively human by their ability to conceive of interests not purely in terms of personal self-interest, but in terms that include a relational and communal self. This, in turn, requires a unique perspective on rights, with people enhancing themselves morally by participating in proper rituals. Researchers from the Max Planck Institute for Chemical Ecology report that in the absence of visible landmarks, desert ants increase the likelihood that foraging nest mates will find their way home quickly and safely by elevating their nest entrance. Ant colonies whose nests are found deep in the Tunisian salt pan are particularly reliant on the self-made landmarks. If the mound at the nest entrance was removed, they immediately began building a new hill, unless researchers provided artificial landmarks. This phenomenon adds yet another fascinating facet to the amazing navigation skills of these tiny desert animals. I'll be joined by Andy Donald in a moment, but first, a little bit of business. Tired of lineups at your pharmacist? Why not try PharmaZ at the Zoomer store? Powered by the Health Depot, an Ontario-accredited pharmacy, PharmaZ offers a concierge approach to filling, refilling, and managing your prescriptions with free delivery anywhere in Ontario. To get started, visit zoomerstore.com and click on PharmaZ. And then click on the Circle of Care Pharmacy program for your free initial consultation with a clinical pharmacist. Don't wait. Go today. Andy Donald is a certified geriatric pharmacist and president of the Health Depot Pharmacy. 
His passion to help patients and deliver personalized services led him to launch the Health Depot, Canada's only online clinical pharmacy. Andy is active in his profession, serving on several committees, including the Alzheimer's Society of Ontario's Ontario Dementia Care Alliance, and he's the Prescribed Pharmacy Ambassador for Canada Health Infoway. The Health Depot Pharmacy is an online clinical pharmacy providing free, no-obligation consultations. They'll meet with you to discuss your medications and answer your questions and deliver your prescriptions free anywhere in Ontario. For more information, visit thehealthdepot.ca. Welcome back to the show, Andy. How are you doing? Not too bad. Yourself, Jamie? Good to be back. Yeah, yeah. So we've spoken about allergies and, you know, the show is always about me. I always bring it back to me somehow. And I think we discussed (laughs) that in my youth, I would take topical steroids uh, for eczema that I had. And we were talking, I think, about steroid options like nose sprays, right? But when you use the word steroids... People also, I think, probably think of like bodybuilders abusing their bodies yeah. and, and things like that. So maybe you can reconcile that for us to start. Yeah, absolutely. Like they're two very different things. Like they both use the word steroids. But when we talk about conditions like we talked about last week about allergies, we're actually talking about corticosteroids, which are anti-inflammatory and they reduce swelling in our cells and our tissue, right? Examples of that are cortisone, hydrocortisone, and uh, systemic ones even like prednisone. This class of steroids are actually produced in adrenal glands. They're two small glands that sit on top of your kidneys, and both males and females. On the other hand, when we talk about steroids that you think about for bodybuilders and stuff like that, they're usually synthetic drugs that mimic our natural testosterone that our body creates. In males, we make testosterone in our testicles, whereas females make it in your ovaries. And natural testosterone, like that, what we normally use in those organs, is meant for sex drive, strength, building muscle mass, and things like that, right? Whereas mm-hmm. corticosteroids are actually used for reducing swelling and actually suppressing our immune system. Okay, so if these steroids are natural to us, I guess for lack of a better phrase, like the chemicals that are already in our bodies, does that make it safer as an anti-inflammatory? Well, so the other kind of anti-inflammatories people are often used to, like the Advils, they're actually, not, they're actually called non-steroidal anti-inflammatories, NSAIDs, right? So both corticosteroids and NSAIDs have benefits, but then also risks. Corticosteroids reduce inflammation well, but they can suppress your immune system, as I just mentioned, if you take them for a lengthy period of time or at a certain dose. Whereas non-steroidal anti-inflammatories like Advil or ibuprofen, They reduce swelling, but they also reduce your pain and fever. But it can cause other issues like stomach ulcers, and sometimes if you use them for a long period of time, can have issues with your kidneys and blood pressure over a long period of time. So to know what to use really depends on what type of swelling you have. So, for instance, swelling and allergies, you would use um, a, a cortical steroid. But then for swelling like a twisted ankle uh, like, or a sports injury, that's something you would lean more on one of those NSAIDs like Advil to help you with. Okay. So in that these steroids are like chemicals that are already in our bodies, it seems like they could have sort of, I won't call it unintended consequences, but impacts on a lot of our systems. Is that true? Yeah, absolutely. So anytime you orally take a drug, any kind of drug, it travels all over our body. If you ingest it orally, it travels throughout our blood. And as it travels around your body, body, it tries to, like musical chairs, sit in any kind of chair, the receptor that it fits in. 
So like a lock and key kind of thing. Yeah. If it binds to an unintended receptor somewhere else in your body than you really intended it to, not the right one, that's where side effects come from, believe it or not. So it's, it's binding somewhere that it wasn't really meant to. For this reason, this is why whether or not it's like a you know, cortical steroid or NSAID or anything like that that you use for swelling, it's best that we avoid systemic whole body treatments whenever it's possible. So for instance, like if you have a skin irritation, right? Mm-hmm. We talked about that like a mild case of poison ivy or something, that's an allergic reaction, then we best use a topical steroid, such as hydrocortisone, rather than a systemic one like prednisone. As you only really need to treat a small little isolated area, it's kind of like it's that old analogy, like it's best not to try to kill a fly by dropping a car on it. It's probably best to use a fly swatter and use hydrocortisone cream instead. Okay, so it's interesting you raise poison ivy as an example. So I think we've discussed it before, but when I was younger, my eczema, my topical eczema was pretty bad. It's not anymore as an adult, but when I was in my teens, it was pretty bad. And I put on a topical steroid to deal with it. Also, I've had two or three bouts of poison ivy. And the first time I had poison ivy, I got a topical cream for it. But the, it gets worse every time. If you're susceptible to it, it gets worse every time. Yes. And I actually had to have a shot the last time because the itching was so bad. I mean, my skin was bleeding from it. That's how bad the poison ivy was. So you can use a more serious kind of steroid for, for example, poison ivy, right? Or poison sumac? Absolutely. It depends on how severe it is, right? So, I mean, systemic steroids have their purpose as well, besides like whole systemic bad asthma attacks right. or even conditions like lupus, right? Uh, you can still use those if it's very severe and widespread. Absolutely. They actually have a very important purpose. And sometimes people need to take systemic, these cortical steroids uh, systemically for extended periods of time, even though it might reduce your immune system a little bit, it's a necessary trade-off for what you're treating it for. And let me tell you, I mean, it feels really good, right? Like, like if, you have, yeah. if you have a really bad itch, like for example, with the poison ivy and you're using a steroid, you don't feel it anymore. And it also makes you feel pretty amazing. It's almost like you want to bathe in it. That's how good it is, right? Sorry. Yeah, um, absolutely. I feel, yeah. Like, I feel like I'm encouraging people to take drugs improperly, but it really is effective. Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, uh, obviously, like yeah, bathing in it is like, yeah, it would help. But, yeah. you know, you have to be careful. So like anything, right? Even with the, we say like topicals typically are a little bit safer than systemic right. ones. Yeah. You know, you, it can over a long period of time. You it's definitely need to engage your doctor and your pharmacist because treating it can help reduce the swelling, but you have to watch how much you use it and what areas of your body. Like it, steroids, topical steroids can still thin your skin over a period of time. Yeah. And certain areas such as thin skin, like your face, skin folds, and private parts, you need to use a very low-potency steroid and for only short periods of time to help with the condition, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I was on topical steroids probably for about 10 years. And, you know, I won't say happily, but the the eczema was mostly on my limbs. So there are still, to this day, we're, we're talking decades later, my skin is still thin from where I had to use a lot of the steroids, right? So, like, it can impact your system, even the topicals, right? Absolutely. It, and it depends on really what you're using it for and what areas, like we said. Certain conditions like psoriasis, it's, it happens because your skin cells actually really pile up and become very, very thick. So, you know, you're not having as much of an issue in that condition because you're reducing, even if you thin the skin, it's in an area where the thin is thickened too much. Right. But they always, like anything you put on your body or in your body can have unwanted consequences long term. You just got to balance that out, right? If you have 
really severe itchiness and, and skin, like eczema, you have to treat it with something. So that's why it's better, even sometimes with conditions to have, there's other medications that won't thin your skin other than steroids that can reduce swelling. Other classes of drugs that can help, that you can use, as they call steroid sparing drugs, mm-hmm. that can use in between to help reduce irritation that leads to swelling or even reduce the swelling itself without actually having an effect on the thinning of this of your skin. Yeah, I mean, happily for me, it was kind of seasonal, so I didn't have to put the cream on, you know, 365 days a year. It would get bad, you know, in the seasons where there was a lot of temperature changes. And I, when I was younger and during the summer, I'd be on the water a lot. I would teach uh, sailing and windsurfing. So you're wet, you're dry, you're wet, you're dry. And that impacted my skin a lot. So it was only for shorter periods that I had to use the steroids. And that's something that's very important is going on steroid holidays. It's the same yeah. thing. I have, I'm like you, I have bad asthma, bad allergies. Right. Uh, I have all those kind of things as well that where I have to use steroid inhalers and steroid nasal sprays, but then using it when you need to. But then when you don't in those seasons, right, it's best to go on a steroid holiday to allow your body to recover. For sure. So in your estimation, though, are these steroids safe or is it just an issue of, well, if you use them properly, they are. And if you abuse them, they aren't like anything else. Yes, they are. They definitely are in a lot of conditions, sometimes really the only main option you can use to treat. But that's why it's best to always do it under guidance of your doctor and your pharmacist. Absolutely. to do So you're using as little as possible to treat the condition, not overdoing it. We're at more risk of side effects and long-term consequences, for sure. Okay. And the, I think the other takeaway point from what you've been telling us is it's kind of a balancing act, right? Like if you need it, you need it and, and it's effective, but there's sort of like a narrow pathway to using it effectively. Like there's a balance there, right? Absolutely. And also if you use it, it's your whole body likes to be in balance. We call it homeostasis, right? So if you're taking a drug that throws it off by you having too much of corticosteroids in your body, what your body does over time is adjust as well. So there's also coming off it, sometimes you need to taper down, particularly with the systemic ones, because what your body's going to do is stop making its own natural corticosteroids because you're taking too much of the oral ones. And that usually happens for oral medications, you know, after 7 to 10 days, where then you might have to usually go into a prolonged and gradual taping schedule to get off the medication without suffering side effects or withdrawal effects, by allowing your body to slowly start making its own natural corticosteroids again. Okay, I didn't realize I didn't realize that's what's happening when you go off it. So, if you needed the steroids in the first place, is your body actually capable of creating enough of them internally to make up for the difference? Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, if you needed the medication, then presumably your body isn't making enough of the steroids to give you the ease or comfort that you need, correct? Well, sometimes it can be that, that you're not making enough of it, and then taking a medication can help your body adjust by making enough, right? But then sometimes it's, for instance, like myself with asthma, allergies, and eczema, and all those conditions, it's my body overreacts and creates too much swelling. Right. So my body has a normal level of corticosteroids, but I might need a little extra than the average person in order to treat the condition because my body is kind of broken another way. I just, my body overreacts to things. Right. And so, but in unintended consequences, if you take some of those more systemic, it is more of a fact because if you take topical, yes, it works locally and a little bit can get into your blood, but not much. So it won't affect other areas. That's kind of the idea. Mm-hmm. Where the systemic goes everywhere, that can have a more pronounced effect on shutting down your natural because your body always, lots of different you know, conditions. Your body likes to be at a, 
you know, a balancing point. So if you take too much of that of a cortical steroid causing medication, then your, it'll, your body will stop making its own. So that's kind of the idea. It's a balance. It's a balancing act. So it depends on why. That's why you need to talk to your doctor and your pharmacist. It really depends on the condition and what's causing the swelling onto what medication might be the best one for you to, to have it taken safely, but also then to, if you eventually to go on those steroid vacations, you sometimes need to taper them down slowly as well. Got it. Time for one last question, and that is for those who have been prescribed ongoing steroid treatment, are there any changes to lifestyle or anything else they need to know other than these vacations? Well, yeah, it's best that you, with any kind of medication, right, for maintenance medication, it's good to review any new prescription with your doctor and your pharmacist because there can be interactions. There can be things that they can do to throw off your other medications. So as always, it's best to speak with your doctor or your clinical pharmacist to go over what that might look at when you're getting a new kind of treatment added to your regime, for sure. Got it. Well, that makes uh, a ton of sense. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Yeah, thanks again, Jamie, as always. It's a pleasure. That was Andy Donald. We have to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss men's health on The Tonic. Hi, this is your Natural Health Minute. I'm Steve Herringer with pro hockey legend Trevor Linden. Our topic, men's health. Well, let's be honest. You know you're not going to make a pro hockey team when you're in your 50s, okay? You're just trying to stay fit and control what you can in your life. What we can control is our exercise and food intake. It's so important to look at the long game and make the little changes that can make a big difference. As you get older, it's so important to monitor your stress and fatigue levels. These can really affect our mental and sexual health. Supplementing with the right men's natural health product is key. I recommend Prairie Naturals Men's Health Formulas. They're scientifically proven to reduce stress, support mental focus, and help relieve prostate issues like frequent urination. Prairie Naturals is my men's health go-to. Prairie Naturals Men's Health Products are recommended by hockey great Trevor Linden. Look for Prost Force, Andro Force, and Stress Force wherever natural health products are sold. A portion of sales donated to the Canadian Men's Health Foundation. Welcome back to The Tonic. Your prescription for a healthier and happier life. Here's your host and publisher of Tonic Magazine, Jamie Busson. Trevor Linden played 20 seasons in the NHL from 1988 through till 2008. He played 16 of those seasons with the Vancouver Canucks, earning him the nickname Captain Canuck. Throughout his hockey career, Trevor was respected as both a leader on the ice and in the community. Since retiring, Trevor has entered the business world with the same focus he took to the ice for over 20 years. His dedication to the community continues to make him one of Canada's most respected athletes. Fitness and high performance continue to be a big part of Trevor's life. He enjoys cycling and cross-country skiing and has competed several international races in both sports. Trevor has been partnered with Prairie Naturals as a men's health champion for the past year and this spring announced a partnership with their new sport nutrition brand, Forever Fit. Welcome back to the show, Trevor. How are you doing? I'm well, Jamie. Uh, thank you. Thank you for that introduction. I'm not, when you said high performance, I'm not sure how much high performance is left, but there's a whole lot of fitness left in me. So that's, that's a good thing. Well, I guess it's all relative, right? Like high performance at sure. my age yeah. or your age, you know, yeah. it, it's contextual. For so, sure. so for like, sure. do we, do we, do we not introduce you as a high performance athlete anymore? <laughs> how do you introduce yourself now? Yeah. Yeah. Interesting, Jamie. Yeah. You know, and it's, you know, I think everyone's fitness journey is unique to their own situation. And, and obviously, 
for me, uh, you know, I played a professional sport for 20 years and, you know, I was so thankful to be able to do that. And, but, you know, that all ends at a certain point for me. That was uh, 15 years ago in 2008. And, you know, and then, and then fitness and health and I guess health and wellness kind of takes a bit of a, a different path from that point forward because really I was training for my job. My job was that. And then you're not, that's not your job anymore. So you, it's kind of a redefining of what fitness means to me. And, and, you know, what I realized was, you know, fitness for me after hockey was a lot. I realized how important it was not for the physical side of me, but for the mental side of me and the, just the get in the right mental space, uh, how important those positive endorphins are and, and just getting that exercise and breathing and, and connecting with friends and, yeah, you know, I, I, when I say that, that doesn't have like, you know, high performance. It doesn't need to be anything for a lot of people that are they're starting their fitness journey. It can be, you know, a walk in the park, a, you know, an hour walk with a friend, connecting. I mean, so there's all different spaces for people to experience that, you know, that mental health break and the physical benefits from from activity. Yeah, I actually had a, a health issue that I was dealing with earlier in the year, and I wasn't able to exercise for over a month. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. leaving aside the loss of muscle mass, I found from a mental health perspective, it was impacting me even more, you know? So it, I get sure. it. I get for it. For sure. And I think that, you know, you realize at that point, you know, you're, you realize, hey, I'm a better father, I'm a better husband, I'm a better partner, I'm a better... I'm better at my job when I've got that, that, you know, when I, when I have that in my life and, and you, you only have to lose it for a bit to understand it. And I, I saw that when I played actually, you know, there were times where, you know, you'd be hurt, like you get hurt and you couldn't do anything. And, you know, it was the, it was almost like a bit of a mental depression because you were just, you know, you're until you can get going. I, I remember I hurt my eye once when I played and I, and I couldn't do anything. I couldn't move, you know what I mean? Or, mm-hmm. or no, I couldn't get my heart rate up. And it was, it was debilitating, really. So regular listeners to the show know I'm, I'm in my mid-50s and, and they kind of hear about what I do. How old are you and what are you doing to stay in shape now? Well, we're very much aligned, Jamie. I'm 50, just turned 53. So, you know, when I, when I left hockey, I really wanted to uh, get on the snow and get skiing because I, I skied a bit as a kid and then obviously couldn't as a player. So in the wintertime, I, I love to cross-country ski. I love to spend time in the mountains. I do a lot of ski touring, which is putting the skins on the skis and climbing up mountains and skiing down them. And then summertime, kind of transition to the bike, uh, you know, whether it's a road bike or a mountain bike. And then in the last couple of years, just really gotten into the hiking. Love to camp and do multi-day hikes. Uh, there's some really special ones I've done and, and look forward to doing. But, you know, and, and I think, you know, I'm 15 years post-retirement now. And earlier in my retirement, as you mentioned in your intro is doing a lot of races in Europe and stuff, seven day bike races and stuff, which I loved. And now I'm more about, you know, connecting with friends and being it's more social. I'm not as competitive as I once was, which is okay. So, you know, I started my, my journey towards health when I was in my late thirties and I've been sort of exercising regularly ever since. And I can tell you the way I exercise now in my mid fifties is very different than when I was younger. And I presume for you, it's, it's vastly different because you were a professional athlete, even at that stage. What have you learned about exercise now that you're in your fifties? Yeah, I think it's taken on a bit of a, and I think especially after COVID too, I think exercise for me is more about the social connection, you know? And I think that 
like I, I really believe that that I'm you know my you know whether I'm going mountain biking or road bike I have a regular group I road bike with and that for me is like my weekly Saturday morning ride and that is just that ability to connect socially you know what I mean and we're out we're riding our bikes and we're catching up with each other and so I think it's in my you know laterly in my 50s I think exercise is much more about that than it is about you know any sort of conquest I'm not trying to set any records I'm not looking to do anything crazy but I just love the the social aspect of it and I think that you know we as humans need that is so important to have that that connection with people and and to have those types of interactions and because life is there's so many you know seemingly speed bumps whether it be with work or family or pressure or you know all sorts of things going on and, and it's nice to have that release Okay, so people throw around the word fit, right? Like, are you fit? Yeah. And yeah. it means it's very contextual, right? It means different things at different stages mm-hmm. in your life. So for mm-hmm. me, I'll define it for me, and then I want to hear what you think, okay? So yeah. I think of fitness now as the ability to do what I want to do from a mobility perspective. And it also means I'm setting myself up for when I get older so that I can continue to do the things that I want to do. And I'm maintaining my fitness as it impacts my overall health. In other words, I'm fit because it means I sleep better and it means I can eat what I want to eat, perhaps to some extent. And as you mentioned before, there's sort of like a mental health component to it. Is that how you see fitness? Yeah, totally. And I think that the word fit is really important because it encapsulates so much for me. It's really about wellness. And, you know, I think especially for men, you know, there's a campaign I'm a part of with the Canadian Mental Health Foundation right now called Move for Your Mental Health. And it's, it's you know, it's Father's Day, the month of yep. June is kind of the month they set aside for that. And, and, you know, I think guys typically, you know, guys get with guys and they talk about sports and they talk about, you know, cars and they talk about golf and, you know, but they don't actually talk about what's going on for them inside. And, and you know, I mean, that's just guys, right? And yep. women are very different. And I think men can take a page out of, the women's book and get more, you know, so fit is really for me, just having the mind connected to the body and understanding where we are, where, where we are, you know, inside. And we can, we can, we can be connected mentally to our physical, what's happening inside of us. Are we anxious today? Are we, are we stressed? Do we have, you know, are we struggling with something, you know, are we, you know, what's, what's going on for us? And I, I think that fit is not a look, you know, fit is really a mindset, you know, and exactly what you said, Jamie, is that, you know, I want to, fit is about, I'm going to be able to do the things I want to do in my 70s. You know, I have a six-year-old right now, and I'm a bit of an older dad, and I'm kind of thinking, hey, I want to be there for him. I want to be mountain biking and skiing and, you know, river rafting and kayaking, sea kayaking with him and camping. I want to be doing that in my 70s. And so, it's as much of a as a mindset as it is as a physical side of things, and I think that's where the some of the disconnect can be, Jamie. You said it exactly. Is that you know everyone thinks so fit? Oh, that's intimidating because I got to look a certain way or or do certain things, and that's not it at all. And and you know, fit is about getting out there, keeping your body moving. You know, that mental health piece, and as you said, mobility. Okay, so we have time for one last question, and that is, how do you think supplements fit into our notion of fitness? Yeah, you know, that's, uh, and I think it's even more important 
as we get older and we get into our mid-50s like we are, Jamie, is that, you know, that we understand that we don't recover as well as we do. You got that uh, right. And, you know, yeah. and so, and even in our fitness that we're, that we're hydrating because these little things, like we're younger, you can kind of just, hey, I'm going to go out and do this. I don't need any water. I'm just going to do it. And you can battle through. But I think when we get in a little bit older that we need to, you know, we need to take care of ourselves in the hydration and within the training. And then afterwards, you know, that creatine, you know, is a great recovery product. And, you know, I've obviously Forever Fit is a brand that pretty excited about being a part of because it really speaks to those three pieces, the hydration, the during workout and the after workout. And I think that you know, it's, it's super important as we want to keep doing things that we realize that we need to, we need to help our bodies out. But it's, I think just, you know, getting out there and, and doing things and connecting with friends. And I think oh, friends are great because they get you to the start line. That's the hardest part, right? Just getting to the start line. You have a buddy you're doing things with or a friend. That's what's awesome about it. Fantastic. Thanks for uh, taking the time out on Father's Day weekend to tell us all about it. Awesome, Jamie. Thank you. That was Trevor Linden. We have to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss the aging doctor crisis on The Tonic. Lumia is a premier eye surgery center that offers a full range of vision correction options with the most cutting-edge technology and elective eye procedures like LAL, a revolutionary adjustable cataract procedure. Co-founded by two of the top surgeons in Canada, Lumia is a team of ophthalmologists, optometrists, and eye care professionals dedicated to delivering a best-in-class patient experience that provides better vision without the use of glasses or contact lenses. For more information, visit www. I'd like to give a shout out to our new sponsor, Omega Alpha. This company is 100% Canadian owned. Their team consists of allopathic and naturopathic doctors, nutritionists, researchers, and other scientific professionals, all led by their CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. Formulations are created on their 40,000 square foot facility located in Toronto. Omega Alpha uses only the highest quality ingredients to manufacture the most efficacious yet price-friendly nutraceuticals. For more information about Omega Alpha, visit OmegaAlphaInc.com. Welcome back to The Tonic, your prescription for a healthier and happier life. Here's your host and publisher of Tonic Magazine, Jamie Busson. Malad Norvand is a second-time entrepreneur with an impressive track record. With over six years of experience in growth marketing, he's been a driving force behind the success of dozens of companies, helping them expand their user base and boost sales. He's now CEO and co-founder of Care Canada, with a mission of guiding patients to the right healthcare professionals and services. Welcome to the show, Malad. How are you? I'm fine. How are you? Good. So what is Care Canada? What's its core purpose? So uh, we are an uh, AI-based search engine that uh, we are guiding patients to the right healthcare professionals and services. So the current problem is that uh, more than 2 million patients across Ontario doesn't have access to family doctors. And this uh, number projected to be 5 million by 2025. And the problem is that uh, a lot of patients directly go to uh, family doctors when they have any kind of symptoms. So family doctors are the first point of contact for them. But there are other solutions too. For example, recently, uh, scope of practices for pharmacists increased 
and they can treat and diagnose certain minor ailments. But patients don't know about that. And whenever they experience these kind of uh, symptoms, they go to family doctors. So what we do, we actually want to become first point of contact for patients. They come to us, they provide their symptoms, or they say what, what they are looking for, and we help them find right healthcare professionals and services in their neighborhood. So you're kind of acting as like a triage unit, right? You're, you're assessing sure. where, where they need to go and, and perhaps steering them away from the overworked family doctors, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's completely correct. Yeah. Okay, so how does Care Canada work towards increasing accessibility of care for patients, though? Like, what are the mechanics of it? Uh, so, yeah, at Care Canada, we work toward uh, increasing the accessibility of care for patients by, at first, increasing the access and ease of access to information. So there are plenty of services and programs in each community and neighborhood. For example, we have community health centers that they provide a lot of uh, healthcare programs and services. But as I said, most of the patients don't know about uh, existence of these programs. And when they are searching on Google, they usually encounter with overload of information that are, uh, that are sometimes incorrect or misguided. So we want to increase the access to the information and ease of access so people can easily find uh, the right healthcare services and programs in their community, in their near uh, neighborhood, easily through our website and application. So is there a charge? For this, like, if I go to your no, website, it's, it's completely free for patients. Okay, so is is this a government agency or an NGO, or are you a private company? Uh, we are a private company, and we are for profit. Okay, so I'm curious, what's your revenue stream? How does it work? Are the doctors and the various health agencies paying to be on your portal? Is that how it works? Uh, no, so for uh, because we want to be impartial in uh, guiding patients to the healthcare professional. We don't get paid with doctors. We have some trusted partners. In order to audit them and vet their services, we get paid. And also, we are providing some referrals to pharmacies, which is going to be our revenue model in the future. But right now, we are self-funded. We don't get paid by patients. We are getting paid with uh, some of the health professionals to audit them and vet them and uh, put a specific badge, which means these are uh, trusted partners of Care Canada. Got it. Okay, so Care Canada recently conducted an analysis regarding family doctors in Ontario towns and cities. Why did you do that, and what did you find out? Uh, So, yeah, the reason was that because of our vision of the company, we usually try to understand the data and get insights from it in order to be able to help patients. In this recent study, we actually examined the age distribution of family doctors across towns and cities in Ontario. And our goal was to identify whether there there are any disparities in the distribution of family doctors based on uh, age in these cities. So this was the reason we conducted this study. And what did you find out? What were the results? Yeah, interestingly, we found that there is actually a disparity in the age distribution of family doctors across Ontario. 
So the data was uh, pretty tricky. So while the overall distribution across Ontario seemed reasonably balanced, there were certain towns where there is a disproportionate number of family doctors uh, above the age of 65, which is uh, such as a retirement age. Right. So this number raised uh, concerns about potential shortages in the future as these doctors approach retirement age. And furthermore, uh, several towns exclusively relied on only a single family doctor who was above 65 years old. So it's going to be a great shortage of family doctors in those areas. And this is very concerning because people have potentially doesn't have access to family doctors in their neighborhood and in their town. So what are the consequences which might arise regarding this disproportionate distribution that you just referenced? Uh, yeah, so this raises a, this study actually raised the concern about the potential shortage of doctors in the near future as these individuals approach retirement age. So take uh, Iroquois Falls. I don't know if I'm spelling this right or not. Iroquois Falls? Yeah, Iroquois Falls. Yeah. So take this as an example. Uh, it has uh, only six family doctors. Uh, which around four of them are about uh, 65 years old, and two of them is around uh, 50 to 65 years old. So with the limited replacement in the younger age, which is lower than 50 years old, and having 33 miles distance with the closest city, this city actually might face significant challenges in maintaining accessible healthcare services for its growing population, which is around 5,000 people. So, yeah, this disparity has uh, some consequences of shortage of accessibility to right health care in the near future. So if there are these pockets or these towns which are going to be underserviced by doctors, what solutions do you see from your end? Uh, So, yeah, we think that different parties should uh, join together in order to solve these uh, upcoming issues. But uh, we have some suggestions. And from the policy-wise, one of them is targeted incentives to attract and retain doctors in regions uh, facing shortages, such as uh, student loan forgiveness programs or grants or bonuses. The other one is facilitating the ability of uh, family doctors to practice multiple locations, which can enhance uh, flexibility and encourage service provision in both urban centers and underserved areas. And the third one is that streamlining administrative processes. As you know, it's a huge hassle for family doctors doing administrative uh, process, and there are a lot of studies in that area. And we think that reducing barriers in this area can uh, also incentivize doctors to offer their expertise in these types of regions with uh, fewer healthcare resources, fewer healthcare administrative assistance. Is this a new problem? I mean, I would presume it would be hard, you know, I would presume it's harder to get a doctor who wants to sort of make back the student loan to go to a small town up north, for example, when they could make more money in a clinic in Toronto where there's so many people. So I would imagine this is nothing new. Or is this a new phenomenon? 
No, no, this is nothing new, but uh, the problem is that uh, right now we are encountering with a situation that some of the towns, actually we found 18 towns that have only one family doctor, which have the age over 65. So the problem is that these family doctors are going to be retired soon. And after that time, uh, the people who are living in these towns are not going to have any access to primary care, which is very concerning. So we have this problem in Ontario for a long time. But now we can see that people who have family doctors are not going and who have relied on their family doctors are not going to have access to primary care in the near future. And this is very concerning. So people's lives are at the stake. Time for one last question, and this just comes off the top of my head. I would imagine that in these small towns, the average age of the patients are older, too, meaning that they need more health care. Is that something that your study looked at? We actually didn't look at that uh, respect, but based on uh, what we are experiencing from our own data, it's not studied and it's not proven, but based on what we are experiencing of own uh, daytime patient requests, we found that, yeah, most of the smaller towns have actually older populations. So it's more concerning for them to have, uh, uh, to, to doesn't have access to primary care, which is very important thing for uh, especially older aged people. Yeah. Hmm. You paint a scary picture. Thank you so much for coming on to the show, Malad. Thank you. That was Malad Norvand. We have to take a short break, but when we return, we'll learn about new age conspiracy theories and how they impact your health on The Tonic. The Big Carrot is a worker-owned natural food market that's been committed to local, organic, non-GMO, and sustainable food systems since 1983. They're a one-stop shop offering produce, grocery, bulk, body care, and holistic dispensary. The juice and smoothie bars and kitchens serve up hundreds of healthy dishes and drinks daily. Building community is at the core of their vision, which they deliver through education, outreach, and giving. They want everyone to share in the goodness they offer. Visit their website for more information at thebigcarrot.ca. If you're looking for premium natural products, choose New Roots Herbal. Proudly Canadian and family-owned for over 35 years. What really sets them apart is their dedication to quality. They source only the highest quality ingredients and test each one in a state-of-the-art ISO-accredited lab. You get the purity and potency you expect. Available exclusively at fine health food stores. To learn more or find a store near you, visit NewRootsHerbal.com. Welcome back to The Tonic, your prescription for a healthier and happier life. Here's your host and publisher of Tonic Magazine, Jamie Busson. Since 2020, my next guest, Matthew Remsky, together with Derek Barris and Julian Walker, have used their Conspirituality podcast to expose countless facets of the intersection of alt-health practitioners with far-right conspiracy trolls. Their first book together, Conspirituality, unpacks the follies, frauds, and cons and cults that dominate the new age and wellness spheres and betray the trust of people who seek genuine relief in this uncertain age. Welcome to the show, Matthew. How are you? I'm great, Jamie. Thanks for having me. So I kind of understand where you're coming from with new age conspiracy theories, but can you give an example for our listeners what you're talking about? 
Well, sure. I mean, the conspiracy theory in general is going to have a paranoid feeling that the world is under the control of nefarious elites. But then the New Age context puts a threefold spin on it, I'd say. So first of all, there's the logic for why it's happening, that there are elites that are demonic and they're out to disenfranchise people from their union with God or their natural immunity to a disease. Secondly, the, the conspiracy has spiritual implications, so it can't be faced down with conventional means. You've got to deepen your spiritual practice, take more herbs, seek advice from angel channelers, and meditate for longer. And lastly, there's this feedback loop between the story that they're telling about the world and the urgency of becoming enlightened. And a really good example would be that in December of 2020, the UFO channeler Lori Ladd said that she got a download from the Galactic Federation of Aliens that told her that Donald Trump was a light worker. And what can that possibly mean? She, she meant that all of his bombast wasn't actually aggression, pride, or sloth, that what he was really doing was playing the role of spiritual disruptor, destined to overturn the deep state, and that light workers everywhere would hasten his mission by continuing to raise their vibrations, you know, drink their green juices, and continue to believe that everything was working according to plan. Now, obviously, this echoes some QAnon themes, with the exception that most, but not all of the time, New Age influencers do not openly call for the murder of Democrats and Satanists. Yes, I would agree with that. What do you think is driving the yogis and the influencers to post or repost these conspiracy theories? Like, why are they buying into it? Well, especially during COVID, when we had businesses shuttered in the spring of 2020, there was a lot of yoga studios, massage clinics, chiropractic offices in that category, and a ton of alt health practitioners were forced into shifting extremely online and then competing for eyeballs. And the virus itself made everyone very tense, but so did this new twisted interpretation of reality that suits the economy of of alternative health, actually, which is the problem is your immune system or your spiritual outlook on life. And then that's paired with, well, we have practices and herbs and supplements and astrology readings that will keep you safe. But as they execute this pivot through their existing affiliate networks, they're also facing during COVID a crowded marketplace. And so capturing those eyeballs goes from sort of basic advertising policy to really an existential necessity. And they ramped it up by constantly escalating the provocative content. You know, the virus isn't real. Vaccines are poison. Soros wants to kill you for your blood. So my colleagues, you know, Derek Barris and Julian Walker and I saw all of this happen. And we'd known each other as yoga and wellness industry critics for about a decade prior to that. And we knew something was up. And you know, it's not going anywhere either, because two of the influencers we write about in the book, New Age guru Marianne Williamson and then the anti-vax propagandist Robert F. Kennedy Jr. are running for president on some pretty dubious spiritual and pseudoscience ideas. And Bobby is being supported by a guy named Charles Eisenstein, who's a New Age writer who, at the start of the pandemic, wrote a 9,000-word essay about how the virus presented an opportunity for spiritual transformation, but that if we did simple mitigation things like masks or socially distance, we would be falling into unenlightened fear. Oh, brother. Okay, so... 
That explains why uh, those leading in the industry might be inclined to spread those words. Why do you think that people who are into yoga, natural health, and wellness adherence are susceptible to those types of theories? Well, we write in our book that the three pillars of conspiratorial thinking, as laid out by the political scientist Michael Barkun, are that nothing happens by accident, that nothing is as it seems, and that everything is connected. And there might be a clue for listeners in the fact that these three things don't sound too bad from a New Age point of view. You know, it sounds kind of like we're talking about karma when all things are destined, or maya when all things are seen to be illusory, or non-dualism that says everything is connected. But what can happen during times of social stress is that these three aspirational values can really curdle. And so just going from our book, we quote Barclun, who writes that conspiracy implies a world based on intentionality from which accident and coincidence have been removed. And so as we see it, you know, those who control the world are making sure that everything happens according to plan. And because the conspiracist's world has no room for accident, then there are patterns that are everywhere, although they're hidden from plain view. And so the calling of the conspiracy theorist is to eternally connect the dots. And that's something that we also do in certain alternative health modalities as well, like connecting the meridians or the chakras together or finding, you know, correlations between strange symptoms and, you know, systemic illnesses. So through those three principles, the conspiracy theorist comes to terms with evil and anxiety and finds a way of imagining a more sensible and responsive universe. So the world is terrible, but the terror has a purpose. And for the conspiritualist, that purpose is waking up. Okay. So if all that's true, what results from these conspiracy theories within the wellness community? Like, what are the risks? Is it, now, now, now that COVID's kind of passed or we're past the stage of being locked down, like what are, what are the current risks? Well, I would say that now that COVID has begun to hurdle into administrative memory, you know, according to, you know, a lot of politicians who want to move the story forward, I believe that uh, the legacy of the COVID period and conspirituality will be heightened vaccine hesitancy. Yep. Another risk is going to be like a retrenchment of something called spiritual bypassing, where there's kind of a cultural instinct to turn inwards and to look for spiritual solutions for very material and practical problems. I believe there's going to be a continued decline in critical thinking. You know, and of course, if we're talking about pseudoscience, like, you know, this essential oil strengthens immunity against COVID, there can be like ongoing dangerous consequences. It's a style of thinking that's extremely individualistic, that distrusts authority, and that really favors intuition and the words of charismatic leaders over, you know, evidence-based information. And zooming out, though, I think there are larger implications because conspiracy theories really do two things politically. They disenfranchise people from having trust in institutions that might be flawed, but also do good work to protect the vulnerable and also have the infrastructure to do the basic stuff of mutual aid when it comes to collective responses to something like COVID. Yep. 
you know, everybody has to try to limit transmission. Everyone who's able should be protecting themselves and others from serious illness by being vaccinated. But what we have instead is a kind of pseudo-politics of online organizing based on inflammatory content as opposed to real policy debate. And, you know, alternative health and yoga people, ironically, already often have a left-leaning critique of power. But what the conspiracy theory does is it makes the solution to that critique individualistic. And that plays right into the hands of right-wing populists. So Premier Daniel Smith just rode a wave of conspiracy theory-related institutional distrust to victory last month on a platform of medical choice and maybe even libertarianism. And I believe that Poiliev will likely take some lessons from that campaign. So, you know, I'm not saying that Everyone who loves yoga or natural wellness, you know, practices is attacking or denigrating the public health system. But I would say that making false claims about the efficacy of alternative health is just antisocial and it can be dangerous. And maybe this is where it's good to bring up the story of Mac Parar, who owned a hot yoga studio in Vancouver And I think he was the first Canadian to get shut down by local authorities because he kept his business open, which meant for him that he kept classes going. And he told his clients that the hot temperature of the yoga studio would kill the virus and help, you know, people boost their immune systems. This is not true. But later he was charged with breaking the Quarantine Act when coming back from a flat earth conference in the U.S. And he died shortly before trial of a drug overdose. But he also had COVID at the time. So there can be real sort of knock-on consequences from, you know, quirky or eccentric beliefs and how they intersect with, you know, actual in real life tragedies. If people want to learn more about what you're talking about, where should they go? We have a podcast where we're up to about 160 main feed episodes and, you know, maybe 200 or so uh, bonus episodes on Patreon. So conspirituality.net is a good source. Any podcast feeder is going to have conspirituality in the main feed. And uh, then our book is out. It is called uh, Conspirituality, How New Age Conspiracy Theories Became a Health Threat. And the audiobook is out. It's narrated by myself. And we've got a lot of support from our editorial team, and we've had amazing expert interviews that have you know, been able to inform us on this wild ride over the last three years. Thanks so much for coming on the show today. Thank you. Thanks to all my wonderful guests, Andy Donald, Trevor Linden, Malad Norvond, and Matthew Remsky. And thank you all for listening to The Tonic. You can listen or download this episode as a podcast with full show notes, contact information for our guests, and links at thetonic.ca. To find out more about the show, you can always follow us at It's The Tonic on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. For great articles by amazing health and wellness writers, be sure to pick up your copy of The Tonic magazine, which is available free on racks at over 100 locations across the GTA and delivered with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in Toronto, west of Victoria Park. Or you can visit our website, thetonic.ca. If you're interested in providing feedback or suggesting topics for the show, you can always email me at jamie at thetonic.ca. On our next show, we'll discuss the health and wellness issues that are important to you. Until then, this is Jamie Busson wishing you a healthy and happy week. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air. 
and The Garden Show.